Ladies and gentlemen, I hereby propose an alternative to the New Year's, um, I don't know, track, I guess, or Lang Syne. It's a dead track, let's be real. So instead, I propose Daft Punk's One More Time. In the words of Public Enemy's Chuck D, bring the noise. Network. I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome to 2020, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's recovered. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, Happy New Year to everybody, one and all. Um, I didn't really, I, I, I kept it chill. I didn't really do, uh, I didn't do anything for New Year's. Um, it's the first time in a while that I haven't, um, simply because. Uh, well, part of the reasons were that I knew most of my squad had something else, had, had always had something going on, um, and B, I just wanted to relax, to be completely honest. I didn't really want to do anything, that's just that's just me, to be honest, because uh, I spent the past few days, like, I don't know, since 20, 20th of December, just completely on my laptop, just doing things, I don't know what, either writing or editing something, editing someone else's writing, scheduling up shit, it's just, it was just, um, it was just non-stop for me, so, uh, you know, over the Christmas period, so, uh, you know, I just, um, I just wanted to spend the night to, I don't know, I just took a couple of shots and, uh, you know, just watch the fireworks go, and London, come on guys, your fireworks were really lackluster this year, I mean, I mean, half of it was smoke, what was that about, you know what I mean, it was just, wasn't, it wasn't a good showing, um, I think, for me personally, for the ones I saw, I, did, I haven't seen the Ameri- uh, the Americas one, I haven't seen Canada or North Amer- any North America or any of uh, South America, but I did see a few uh, before, obviously, uh, in the ahead time zones, uh, I think uh, Sydney was okay, I think Sydney always does the same, pretty much the same stuff every year, obviously Sydney Opera House and then that bridge, I forgot what it's called, but yeah, it was a bit, it was a hate. Uh, Dubai on the Burj Khalifa was kind of cool, um, that was that was kind of a nice show, Hong Kong I think for me took it because it was so widespread and it was uh, practically all over the place and also it had people uh, making a human chain of themselves in protest of Hong Kong, uh, be, be, being, you know, well you guys know the story, we've talked about it before, so you know, a little bit of protest in that as well. And I am all for that. That's a, that's a, that's a boss move right there. So um, yeah. So again, happy New Year to all. Um, I hope you all had a good New Year's um, uh, compared to mine. <laughs> uh, if you went to sleep, if you had to work the next day, obviously that's you know that's just how life goes. And you know, I thought that was the same for the show because I was generally not going to do this show to be honest. But then I thought, I thought you know, if I'm not going to do it then I need a really good reason, and I came home today, I went to the cinema, and I'm going to talk about that in one of the segments, and, uh, you know, I just thought, I've got time, why not, I'll just crack it out, and just have, just have a go, so, um, you know, the, the, the um, what's it, what's it, what's it called, 90% of success is turning up, you know, so I thought I'd just turn up and uh, see, see what, <laughs> see what happens, I've just uh, got a little itinerary for myself, uh, we have a full schedule, um, I think one for each, which is actually, which is getting rarer and rarer these days, but, uh, we have one for each, which is good, and, uh, yeah, so, well, without further ado, might as well hop into it, so, for my before you begin, we have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG, we also have the Facebook as well, they're all in the description below, if you want to follow any of those, or hit me up in any fashion, thank you guys for listening once again, and hopefully we can continue this throughout the 2020, and all of that, all of that, all of that. So, without further ado, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where Serena Williams and LeBron James are named AP Athletes of the Decade, I mean, that's obviously US-specific, but I think that's a great two to pick um, in terms of the whole decade. Obviously, Serena's been an absolute boost and 
LeBron has been exactly the same, uh, winning three championships, and we'll see uh, Serena becoming the GOAT, um, if she wasn't already in most uh, most people's eyes. I think she's objectively the GOAT now, so this kind of, I think it's even worth uh, contemplating anymore. And LeBron is, um, you know, he's 35 as of uh, as of now, and uh, had his birthday oh, I think a few days ago, and, you know, I think he can easily... Uh, I think he's got a good... A good five years in him, I think. I think I think five years is a good. I think he can go until forty. Um, he said that uh, he wanted to get Kareem's uh, points record, all-time points record, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I generally think he can do that. So I don't, I really don't see why not. Uh, but yeah, great picks uh, for both. Cats uh, is projected to lose seventy million dollars, and I am completely happy about that because that shit looks like a fucking nightmare. It. It it just looks it it doesn't it doesn't look it <laughs> it, it don't look it it doesn't look it you know I've seen I've seen people cape up for it for some reason and I'm just like I mean sure but I I I just stop at the visual effects like the fact that cats are human and you know and that and they don't have clothing most of them it's just it I, I have so many questions you know. <laughs> I have so many questions, so I I I just can't I can't bear to see it. Partly for my own sanity, but partly because if I watch it with anybody, I feel like I'll just be either laughing, uh, having a scared look on my face, or just asking questions on how the fuck do these cats quote unquote anatomy works? It, I I just have so many questions, so many questions. But anyway, uh. A Texas judge ordered a uh, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones to pay $100,000 uh, for using his show to promote falsehoods of the 2012 Sandy Hook school massacre, saying that was a hoax, and, you know, that's completely fine by me. I think I think it should be more money, to be completely honest. Like, think about that. Think about, right, right. Think about if somebody on, you know, um, not, even na- not even national radio, but, like, on the internet, right, um, and he was British, right? It says, it's like, you know, it says, um, I don't know, 7 7 didn't happen. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just ludicrous. It's just ludicrous. And the fact that this dude has sway for, my, for some people in America doesn't really make sense to me. But, uh, you know, it's just how life is. It's just how life is. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, a fine is a good start. But, um, I don't really see how that can stop him chatting shit most of the time. And, uh, lastly, UK music purchases uh, have hit its highest level since 06 and I consider that a completely good thing I, I, I don't really see why not I think um, that shows a great sign that music is very healthy especially here in the UK um, I think I've, I've you know I've made a plenty of write-ups about um, about UK and hip-hop future um, UK hip-hop's future um, UK rap's future as well obviously drill is coming becoming more of a thing and, um, oh, what's the last one? Um, Grime as well. But, um, I've, I, I did have this conversation. I forgot who it was. Oh, yeah, Shadow Mansour, actually. Yeah, he had this, we had this conversation, uh, when we were cons- uh, uh, having a chat about Drake. And, um, he said that Grime is dead. And I was just like, I never really thought about it. And I was just like, hmm. He asked me when was the last time he heard a Grime track. I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> I haven't had one in a while. And, you know, not that actively. I will say I don't actively look for Graham uh, these days, but um, yeah, I, I, I generally haven't heard any since. But we start with well, let's start with film and TV since I kind of half mentioned it. So today I went to the cinema to go see Star Wars: uh, Rise of Skywalker, and I don't know, guys. I don't know. I, I don't know. I felt like. I left the cinema feeling just a bit not um not 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 like disappointed but I don't know just flat I I left feeling flat I was, I was like yeah it, it, yeah it was alright it was cool I guess uh, but it didn't really it didn't really blow me away and you know I don't like to compare films um especially uh, uh, but in this case I really do. Um, I compare this to Endgame as, you know, as like, you know, the final thing, you know, obviously Endgame had much more weight, um, compared, considered, excuse me, considering, um, you know, encapsulated a whole 10 years, um, 
but yeah, this seemed um I don't know. This seemed rushed to me. Uh this the whole the whole I think the whole trilogy to me seemed a bit rushed, uh, to be completely honest. I think uh, the original trilogy, uh quite me if I'm wrong, and excuse the plane, um I think there was like a three year gap in between all three. I think that's very that was very logical and uh, clearly did wonders for the franchise itself in terms of styling it up. Um, obviously, this has happened in a basically, a, I think, like a three, four year period. And, you know, and obviously, those are spin offs in between. I just think it's a bit, it's a bit much. It, it, the whole thing, I think, was a bit rushed. Um, the whole trilogy, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and that. Um, and I was actually one of those people that really enjoyed The Last Jedi. I, I, I liked it to be honest. Um, I know, obviously, in hindsight now, and you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna say, you know, spoilers and all that. I'm not really gonna talk about in graphic detail, but you know, if you, if you haven't seen the film, I suggest go see the film before you hear me talk about it. But um, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like it was just, um, I don't know. I do like J.J. Abrams, right, as a, as a. A director in 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 some cases, not all cases, because um, from some, a couple of videos that I watched after I got home, after watching this, because uh, there were there were a couple of people that I wanted to you know get opinions from uh, video wise, and I was just like, yeah, they they make good points, and you know the first the first thing I got from those uh, from those was um the if J J Abrams right directed I don't know uh, Mission Impossible right. <sighs> That shit would be flames. That would shit would be flames. And Christopher McQuarrie, you know, obviously is great um, when he when he does Mission Impossible. But I feel like J.J. Abrams could do a bang up job uh, directing a Mission Impossible film. I'd love to see him do that because J.J. Abrams has this style um, that is very fast. You know, it's, it's very fast paced. And this film, Rise of Skywalker, was two two hours twenty minutes, I think, runtime, right? Um. Even with that said, nothing stayed. Everything was just like next thing, next, 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 next. You know, it was just it was just a lot. Um, and comparing it to Endgame, obviously Endgame was about three hours long, and I think every minute of that was pretty much worth it. You know, it was it was evenly paced and obviously sped up and obviously climax when it wanted the, you know, climax in the action scenes and you know all the dramatic scenes, whatever. But I feel like Rise of Skywalker just not needed more runtime, but just needed a different, um, it needed different pacing, uh, I think every scene was very just, like I keep saying, it's very, it was very rushed, and also, the amount of characters that were added onto this, uh, for the last hurrah, was, again, a bit much, it, it was a bit much, I mean, I love Nomiaki, right, as an actress, she's great, but adding her as a character, uh, was just a bit, I don't know, it was just, it was just a bit, why, <laughs> it was a little bit why, and just as a side note, there's this last, there's one bit at the end that I can't get out of my fucking mind, it's so weird, I can't, I don't want to look into it more, but it just freaks me out, so, as you guys know, Billy D. Williams is here, he's reprising his role as the Land of Calrissian, right, and after they get the dub, um, Spoiler alert, they get the dub, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a, a bit between Naomi Aki's character, I forgot her name, uh, Jenna or something like that, and uh, Lando, right? And uh, she asks him, where are you from? And he goes, from an old system, where are you from? And she goes, I don't know, because, um, again, spoiler alert, she's, a, she's like Finn in terms of uh, formerly being a stormtrooper, right? And she goes, I don't know. And he goes, well, let's find out together in this very sleazy way. And I'm just like, what, 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 why, why, why is that? And that was the scene. That was it. That was it. I said, she's just that, those, those, uh, those few lines of dialogue, literally one, two, three, uh, where are you from? Old system. Where are you from? Da, da, da. Those four pe those four lines of dialogue, right? Um, that was it, and then it just moved on to, like, I think, Ray and, uh, uh, Finn and uh, Poe hugging, right, that was so weird to me at the end, I just, I just can't get it out of my head, and I can't understand it, it was just highly unnecessary, and just, again, similar to Cats, I really had questions, I have questions about that particular bit, I was just like, 
is 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 he making a move? <laughs> like he's like he's 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 like sixty seventy years old. Like she's clearly younger than him. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense on so many levels. But um, anyway, uh, continuing on. Um, yeah, I think uh, and there was also a lot of um, there was a lot of juggling here, which in a way I kind of applaud. But in terms of just trying to understand what's going on and trying to tie up everything for this last film. It was really not. It it wasn't. It wasn't good. It it wasn't good in that fashion. Um, I think a uh, Kylo Ren's uh, uh, redemption arc, all of a sudden, was just a bit whack. Cause picture this, right? Obviously, we consider Darth Vader, you know, as a as a as a villain, a very iconic one. But at least his redemption was justified, right? <laughs> Um, Kylo Ren as a as a villain is probably more villainous, you know. Not in ter- I'm not talking about if you like him or not, or terms about or terms of iconicness. I'm talking about just being a you know shitty human like villains are supposed to be. He was that, and in that case, it really irks me the fact that he managed to redeem himself so simply. Um. But basically, uh, he didn't even save Ray, but um, I guess um, helped Ray get the dub. But it was oh, and also that kiss at the end. Fuck, why, 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 why? I mean, I mean, I guess sure, sure, if you really want to. But I, did, I didn't feel like that was just a. There was no payoff in that, and I think that's kind of the whole film in a nutshell. It's just a, it was just a lack of payoff. I, d- I didn't feel. I, 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 like I said at the start, I feel flat leaving, uh, leaving the cinema, and I feel bad because um, you know I think Star Wars as a franchise is okay, but this film has a lot of problems with it, and I've just scratched the surface. I mean, shall we even talk about how there was a um, a whole fucking uh, news cycle about that lesbian kiss that was literally there for half a second? You don't even see it. You, you. Literally, it's so hard to clock. You don't even notice it. You, you you don't even notice it. You don't even clock, right? It's not exactly. It's not like um, Poe and the uh, Finn kissing, right? It's not even that because that didn't happen. And some people did want that to happen, which um, you know, in in some ways I was I was kind of for because it made it kind of made sense throughout the, you know, especially the first two movies. It made sense. It was a growing camaraderie there, and if they wanted to, um, you know. Go the go the whole distance and just label them gay, go for it. But they didn't do that. Instead, and another thing, and I'm, I feel like I'm going back and forth, going all over the place here. But I, I just keep thinking of stuff. But um, they fucked up Finn real bad. They they did my boy John Boyega day. Uh, he he spent the whole he spent the whole film wanting to tell Ray something, and uh, you know you could you could say that she, uh, he fancied her whatever for sure. I guess I guess that was the point, but. He didn't even get to say it. So, what? It was a complete waste. It was a complete waste of Finn, to be completely honest. Um, I think his arc died. Um, started and began at the first uh, the first film. And the second film was, um, I guess, a little bit of a rise because, you know, he sacrificed himself at the end. Well, he tried to sacrifice himself at the end. And that just showed a little bit of character development, I guess. But not exactly a, a, a lengthening of the arc. And um, obviously, people were um, most people were um, moaning about uh, Kelly Marie Tran's character. Um, uh, I, f- I forget her name, but um, Rose, that's it. Um, obviously, people were moaning about that. Obviously, she was a big part of the second film, and not even worth it being here in the in the third film. And you know, I do I, I do share the sympathy. Um, I do empathise on that. It's the uh, it it was unfortunate to just see that character with a lot of potential. I think um, just be wasted like that, and I think that's just the whole film. It really is just the whole film. It's just a, a minor disappointment everywhere. Um, not much payoff. I mean, the action scenes were quite good. I like the set design, set, set pieces, and everywhere, like the locations everywhere. It was, it was really, it was really nice to look at. But apart from that, story wise, um, pacing especially. I mean, if you want to watch it, just in the trilogy, go ahead. But um, 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to get much payoff. I think they really pandered to the fan base and not the good fan base. I mean that toxic shit cesspool fan base. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Cesspool fan base of Star Wars has, um, um, I guess, subset. And also pandering to, you know, China and stuff like that. It's just, it, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth in that fashion. Um, in hindsight, you know, some... It was it was an alright trilogy. It's not it's not the best. Um, I guess I guess it's better than the two um, thousands trilogy. But um, you know that's not exactly the highest of bars. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. I I don't really I'm not I'm not really here for it. And you know I'm not really just to say I'm not really like the biggest Star Wars fan of all time. I like it for what it is. Um, I watch them and I you know try to enjoy them. But you know. Past that, I'm just like, you know, I just want to see a good film. Excuse me, I just want to see a good film. And um, I don't really think I did. I really saw a mid-tier film today. And I just... And, you know, that's how it goes. But, um, yeah. I don't recommend you paying to see it, to be honest. But if you want to see it, like, you know, when it comes on Disney+, because it ain't going to be on Sky no more. <laughs> um, but if you want to go see it on Disney+, Plus in a couple of months, then by all means, but I don't think it's worth the 15 quid that I paid for, to be completely honest with you. So we move on to life, and uh, this is kind of, I, I guess this is just the first, the first bullshit story of the year for me, because uh, this is absolutely amazing to see. Uh, to make amazing to read, and I was just like, I have to, I have to get this in the show. <laughs> I have to get this because <laughs> this is absolutely outstanding, out freaking standing. So, um, so it's called uh, it's, uh, it's it's elite schools refuse to accept one million dollar uh, pound gift after donor says it can only be spent on white boys. So this is by uh, Zoe Tidman uh, by the Independent. This is glorious. Let's get into it. It's just, just dive right in. It's great. Two UK schools have turned down large donations over concerns the money was only destined for poor white children. Winchester College and Dulwich College, both private schools, were reportedly offered over £1 million uh, in total for the scholarship fees of underprivileged white boys from the UK. Some, some, some studies have shown white British children on free school meals struggle academically compared to those with other ethnicities. Which is why Sir Brian Thwaites made a specific request, according to the Times. Both private schools have said, however, they do not accept donations with racial conditions attached. Dr. Joe Spence, the master of Dulwich College, uh, says he is resistant to take awards made with any ethnic or religious criteria. He said bursaries are an engine of social mobility and they should be available to all who pass our entrance examinations, irrespective of their background, unquote. A Winchester College spokesperson said, quote, notwithstanding legal expectations, exceptions to the relevant legislation, the school does not see how discrimination on grounds of a boy's colour should ever be, could ever be compatible with its values, unquote. So Brian told the Times, quote, uh, Winchester said it would harm its reputation by accepting my bequest. Uh, I don't know if it's bequest or request, and they just spelled request, request one because there's a B in it. I don't know if request is a word. Uh, but in my opinion, it would gain enormously by being seen to address what, what is the severe national problem of underperforming white cohort in schools. He said, if Cambridge University can accept a larger donation in support of black students, why can I not do the same for underprivileged white British? So Brian was referring to how Grimeyer Stormzy pays for two black students' tuition fees and living costs each year so they can study at Cambridge. Uh, the university said earlier this year that they had uh, they had a record number of black students dubbed it the Stormzy effect. Oxbridge have come under criticism after figures uh, figures showed some colleges failed to admit any black British students over the span of several years. So Brian reportedly intended to leave four hundred thousand pounds in his will to Dulwich College, which is in South London, and eight hundred thousand to Winchester College in Hampshire. Uh, Winchester College, sorry, in Hampshire. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I, th I, th I think the, uh, I think the difference here, um, well, <laughs> we, we know, 
we we know the difference here. But uh, I find this I find this very fascinating for me, uh, especially from a political point of view. Because I wonder if Sir Brian voted Labour this uh, this past uh, general election. I I wonder because uh, if that was the ca- if that was the case, then sure maybe he's trying to do something. But um, I highly doubt he did. Uh, but yeah, I I I think I think the I think the statistics here uh most likely will show otherwise if it if it, if anyone looks it up and wants to show me up then sure go ahead but um i'm fairly confident that um you know the demographics uh, at uh, dulwich college and uh, the other one uh is uh, very wise as it is and uh, <laughs> And uh, well, I've actually, well, actually, I know Winchester. Um, I don't if, uh, by the college. I think I don't know if they mean the university, um, because I went there to uh, basically. Uh, well, my my boy Dave went used to go there. Um, I don't know if that's the exact same place, but um, no, it is not. It's a is a independent school. It's a it's a it's a boarding school. So uh, yeah. So with that said, it's not it's not the university, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, I think when it comes to boarding schools and stuff like that, like it's not, it's, it's different. That's a different world, right? It's, it's a complete, it's a completely different world. And good on, I guess, uh, Dulwich and uh, Winchester for not accepting this, uh, this donation, because as we all know, there, there are many a time where money has been shown to people to do some. Uh, non-favorable shit and they've just gone for it so i guess congratulations guys you you you, you didn't uh, accept money from an idiot but um, let's be real let's talk about boarding schools here right i personally don't know anybody who went to a boarding school um and you know it's a <laughs> boarding uh, the fact that the fact that the title of the article says elite schools just makes me cringe because uh in what way uh does it is is it elite you know is it, it by elite you basically mean you know rich people right that's that's basically what we're going for yeah um this is not for the smartest of the smart uh in the in in the uk um it's not that type of prestigious it's monetarily prestigious not smart iq prestigious if you get what if you get my drift i mean let's just have a look at who's in our government right now you know it's just it's just, just an example um but i i just find this uh I, I found this so laughable uh the fact that oh oh no yeah so so you want it so if if you want to if you Here's the thing, right? So, and this is my last point. If you really wanted, right? If you really wanted, um, in you know, impoverished, uh, white kids, right? Why don't you just donate to public schools? Yeah, that's you know, why why didn't why why was it elite schools? In in why 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 elite schools for this? And I say elite in quotation marks, just so you know. I'm just saying it for conversation. I don't believe it's elite, um, but I, I just, I just, I just don't see why you picked these two schools um, for 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 the, for these for these millions and for that caveat uh, on the on the you know on the um, that little message on the on the on the pound sign. You know, what I mean, just like P.S white boys only <laughs> it's like why didn't why didn't you just give it to some public schools if you're really genuinely concerned about impoverished white kids um then do that but even with that said we can't really get over the barrier uh even if he did that we still can't get over the barrier of the fact that you know he's asking to give it to just white children <laughs> which uh is just as we got as, as you guys know it's laughable I'm 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 not surprised this is uh, is um I'm not surprised this is a thing, uh, but I can't help but just be a little bit disappointed at how um simplistic, <laughs> simplistic and uh, uh, stupid this is. I mean, I'm sure he came from elite school, right? Surely you'd have the, the you'd have the uh, the 
the the knowledge and the know-how to get this stuff done. Surely you have the uh, the strings to pull here. No? Oh. So why is it called Elite? Huh. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> taking my jacket off so you know I'm hot um so we move on to uh uh sports and uh it's olympic it's olympic year boys and girls it's olympic year and if you know your boy you know your boy loves some olympics um i i it's the it's the only thing um where it's, it's the only sporting event where i i want everybody to watch you know i i feel like the olympics is such a you know, apart from, you know, let's not, let's not talk about the obvious shit that, you know, whenever a, uh, whenever most countries host an Olympics, especially in a winter sense, uh, they end up just going down the shitter because they can't afford it. Um, obviously all that extravagance is a bit sometimes unnecessary and costs a fuck ton. Um, and in that case, obviously the Olympics is very, um, detrimental uh, in an economic sense, and obviously the IOC is corrupt as shit, um, we could talk about all that, but in just the essence of what the Olympics is, I think it's the best sporting event um, in the in, that we have, every anywhere, um, but in the World Cup, don't talk to me about that, uh, I'm talking about the Olympics, I think the Olympics is the best, um, there's every sport there, there's every, not, not every sport, but um, you know, there's a plenty of sports there, um, obscure sports as well that nobody, you know, usually talks about. And I'm not even talking about, you know, rock climbing, which is a, which is a sport now, uh, Olympic sport now for, you know, obviously trying to get the younger audience in. Same with, uh, skateboarding. Um, we're actually going to mention skateboarding here in this article, but, um, you know, even stuff like badminton, like when, when do you, when do you, when have you guys ever watched badminton? You know what I mean? <laughs> I would love to watch badminton. I love badminton. Badminton's lit. I love it. Um, I really enjoyed it back in high school, but, um, you know, so, it's, it's technically, you know, not a popular sport. Um, sevens rugby really impressed me um, uh, back in the, back when when we went to Rio, and um, and I'm not really that big of a fan of rugby, but uh, sevens rugby I can really get behind. That shit is exciting as hell. I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, for the past two Olympics, uh, I've been really glued, and obviously Beijing as well. But I was a bit young to write about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, for 2012 and. Uh, and especially for 2016 Rio, I just, I just relished in it, I, I spent every day on the TV watching the Olympic, Olympic coverage, um, I watched pretty much every sport, I, I, you know, um, apart from shit like equestrian, which I can't hate enough, <laughs> um, and also like, you know, shit like modern pentathlon, I don't, eh, no, 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 that's just, that's just, that doesn't make sense, like, have you seen, have you guys seen what modern pentathlon is? Let me tell you what modern pentathlon is. We'll get to the article. We'll get to the article. Don't worry. Just just indulge me for a second. Do you want to know what they do for a modern pentathlon? <clears throat> so, modern pentathlon. Five different events, right? Fencing. Freestyle swimming. Equestrian show jumping. And a final combined event of cross-country running and pistol shooting. What the fuck is that? What what is any of that? What 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 does swimming have to do with fencing? What does show jumping have to do with cross country running? It's the oddest set of sports you could ever put together. See, decathlon and heptathlon make sense because they're all done in one arena. You know, if you you're, you're doing the you're doing the hundred meter hurdles, you're doing the javelin. You're doing the shot put. You're doing the long jump. You're doing the high jump. You're doing the four hundred uh, uh, 800 meters or 400 meters? I forget which. Uh, 800 meters, right? That all makes sense because it's all in one place. You know, it's all in one stadium, right? Modern pentathlon? Fuck out of here. But anyway, so let's get let's get into this particular article here. It's by uh, Sean Ingle, Brian Armin, uh, Graham, and Kieran Pender of the Guardian. Uh, Twenty athletes to set light, uh, set two lights up. Uh, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. I just want to get hype. I just want to get hype. If you don't want to get hype, please skip. 
because I'm just here to get hype. You know, I, I, I love the Olympics. I love it. So, uh, firstly, Dean Rasher-Smith. We know Dean Rasher-Smith. If you've listened to this show, you know I love me some Dean Rasher-Smith. Queen Dina. Queen Dina. Salute. Um, Seb Coe, who knows a thing about two about winning Olympic titles, believes Dean Rasher-Smith will be Team GB's poster girl in Tokyo. Facts. Given her seamless upward trajectory and personality, it would take a brave person to argue with his lordship. I'm not going to call him his lordship. Nah, that's not yet, Chief. Um, it's Seb Coe. Um... Mr. Code, maybe. Because he's completely fucking gutted the uh, uh, World Athletics. But anyway, that's a, that's a question for a uh, conversation for another day. Uh, last autumn, 24-year-old won three World uh, Championship medals, including the 200-meter title, making her the greatest British female sprinter in history. Uh, next year, she will, uh, she will have live chances of Olympic gold in the 100, 200, 4 by one relay. Although Shani Ann Fraser-Price, Shawnee Miller-Webo and the USA 4 by 100 team will have a thing or two or three to say about that, of course. Um, but yeah, man, I think she can definitely win, uh, to, uh, especially 100-200 uh, relay. I'm I'm kind of not too confident about. I think um, US and Jamaica are always strong in that field, um, and I don't really see any change in that. Um, if Shelley's on point and uh, they manage to get a free... Uh, I think US is obviously, uh, depending on their trials, because uh, they were very, very weak from a short distance last year, especially for women. Um, I think if they have a good trials and they have a good team um, uh, compared to the World Championships, then I think it's all to play for. If Tori Bowie comes back, if um, uh, I forgot the other, I forgot the other girl, um, I forget her name. But yeah, if, if if even if Tori Bowie comes back, who was one of in a couple of years ago, was like one of the best hundred meter runners um, in the world. Uh, if she comes back from her injuries, then you know USA is already in contention. Um, shout to you know friend of five et on Bartolet who, who's uh, currently training as well to retain her long jump title if she gets in the four by one hundred you know that's all that's <laughs> what stagger you know and all that so um, you know it's definitely it's definitely hot on that front but um, you know I think I think Dina has a great chance for one hundred two hundred she just keeps going and just keeps healthy um, the trajectory will just only go up and uh, I think she can definitely she has beaten people like Shelley she has been um, uh, did she beat Shawnee Willowiever. I don't think she did in 200, I don't think she has in 200 yet, but I think it's possible, I really do think it's possible, and if, if she, and you never know, Shawnee might not even do 200 metres, she might just go to do 400 again, um, we, we will see about that, but um, anyway, continue on, uh, Kelsey Lee Barber, um, uh, Javelin, uh, Australia, uh, Barber's seasonal, uh, seasonal best uh, chart over the past decade shows almost linear improvement, 28 year old Javelin Fro finished 20th for the 2015 World Championships, 10 two years later, and upset uh, upset a talented field last September to clinch gold. Uh, Barbara is no stranger to high pressure competition, having won medals consecutive Commonwealth Games, competed in Rio, but Tokyo will be her first out in, as an af- as the athlete to beat. Uh, following several retirements, Barbara and the high jumper Brandon Stark are Australia's only established medal hopes in track and field. Um, I don't think Brandon Stark will do much. Uh, that's me, just me personally. I don't think he'll do much in the high jump, but I think uh, Barbara has um, has all the has all the chances in the world to. Uh, be you know ja- get that javelin Olympic gold. Um, I think uh, women's javelin has uh, kind of died down a little bit. Um, especially compared to the men's. The men's has like I don't know like fucking five six throwers that can that, that can throw potential world record have uh, world record throws. So uh, you know stacked field over there. But um, for the women, I think uh, a few people are retired have started to retire or just got injured or whatever, or have just generally regressed. And uh, Barbara has obviously come to the forefront, um, especially last year. But um, uh, we shall we shall see on the Tokyo front. She has all the all the tools to do so. Simone Biles, gymnastics USA. We all know her. 22 year old American non parallel non parallel That's a weird word. Uh, who affirmed her presumptive status as the greatest gymnast ever. Uh, with four gold medals in seven days in Rio, continued to rewrite the record books while somehow raising her level with the past two world championships. She will enter Tokyo as a runaway favourite to become the oldest woman in more than five decades to win uh, Olympic all-round title, the sport's most coveted prize, and the first repeat champion since Vera uh, Kaslavska uh, did it for former Czechoslovakia in 1968. As ever, her only competition is herself, and that's really it. I mean, the fact she's 22... That's a fucking joke. <laughs> that's a fucking joke, bro. I can't believe that. That she's twenty-two. Absolutely twenty-two. That's crazy. This might be her last Olympics, and she's twenty-two. And that's just absolutely amazing to think about. 
gymnastics is just crazy to watch, to be completely honest. So even I have been kind of low-key interested in gymnastics. Um, some of the shit they do on there is just absolutely stupid. Like, Oh, my God. Absolutely nutty. Uh, Sky Brown, Great Britain skateboarding. If Brown qualifies to Tokyo uh, for Tokyo and she's almost a shoo-in, um, is that how you spell shoo-in? I thought it was like shoe, like a shoe, but it's S-H-O-O. Hmm, didn't know that. Uh, she will be only 12 years and 15 days on the opening day of skateboarding, eclipsing the swimmer Mar- uh, Marjorie Hinton to become the youngest British athlete ever uh, to compete at the at an Olympics. Brown, who's uh, bo- who was born in Japan to an English father and a Japanese mother, is improving at such a rate it is impossible to put limits on where she might finish. Uh, in September, she was third in Sao Paulo World Park Championships. Um... Yeah, I think uh, skateboarding wise, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of young blood coming through, um, especially uh, of Japanese Asian uh, descent. Uh, there's a few coming through from Brazil as well, um, and a couple of Europeans, but not really that much. And obviously, there's always Americans. Uh, there's always a couple of Australians in there. And uh, yeah, so Sky Brown, considering she's you know Japanese and English, I'm surprised she didn't go for Japanese. Uh, uh, you know, for the you know, since she's going to Tokyo, I thought she would, you know, kind of be logical to go for uh, Japanese. Uh, what's the what's the word? Uh, citizenship in that in that front from a sports perspective. But uh, yeah, she's Great Britain, and uh, you know that'll be quite amazing to watch. To be being honest, I've never seen a I've never seen a riot, so that'll be quite uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, Christian Coleman, USA Athletics. We've talked about him before. Uh, soft-spoken, 23-year-old from Atlanta, has over the past three seasons established himself as the warm favourite to succeed Usain Bolt as the 100, uh, Olympic 100-meter champion. Most recently, in September, we surged the world title in a personal best time of 9.76. Uh, that made him the sixth, fast, sixth fastest man in history. Reputation obviously took a hit from US anti-doping agency, charging with three whereabout fail- failures in the 12-month period. An offensive carrier is a potential two-year ban, but Defiant Coleman has kept on course for a Tokyo coronation after the case was dropped. Um, I don't think that really matters. Uh, obviously, that, that's a, you know, that's, athletics has had a very sordid history with doping. And uh, I think people... Uh, I, I do think people overreacted a little bit. Obviously, rulebook-wise, he broke the rules. And I think he, you know, from a rulebook perspective, should have got a punishment. But I'm fine with the fact that he didn't. Um, but yeah, it does leave a little bit of an... A little bit of a you know a squinty eye when people look at him, and that's just that's just how people react, especially as athletics fans. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's it's a rap to be completely honest. I, I don't think anybody can beat him uh, when it comes to the best day. He's absolutely unstoppable. He has been unstoppable for the past three years. Uh, I can't really see anybody beating him, uh, especially in hundred meter front. And if he feels like doing the two hundred, I think he can do a very good job on that. I don't think he could beat no Lyles uh, in two hundred, but uh, if he tries that as well, I think he can definitely medal. And uh, obviously in relay, he's gonna he's gonna boss it. I think US completely own that, completely own that. That's a wrap on that front, uh, especially for the men's. Uh, Roman Dennis, Australia road cycling, uh, cycling specialising in the race uh, in the race against the clock. Dennis, uh, twenty nine, raised eyebrows when he walked down his World Tour team, uh, Bahrain, Merida, midway through the Tour de France. While he has not ridden for them since, and currently in a contractual dispute, that did not stop Dennis from defending his World Time Trial crown uh, in September. Having recently signed with Ineos, who seemed to who seem agreeable to Dennis focusing on Olympics, the South Australian is a strong favourite for time trial gold. Um, I don't really know much about cycling, to be honest, so I'm just gonna continue on that front uh, but that's obviously a person to look out for and you know I actually enjoy watching um especially time trial cycling and the Olympics I really enjoy that kind of stuff I don't really I'm not here I'm not really here for the you know the the long races I do like it where there's just like a straight up time trial and like people just keep coming in like rally style I, I kind of enjoy that kind of way uh, that 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 facet of racing but uh, velodrome rate velodrome cycling track um velodrome cycling is the bees freaking knees. I love that shit. Uh, road cycling, I'm not really, I'm not really that big of a fan of. I actually prefer mountain biking if anything. But um, uh, over that, uh, but Caleb Dressel, uh, USA swimming. If you watched the 2016 Olympics, you definitely heard his name before. 23 year old from Florida has been cast as the heir to Michael Phelps as the face of swimming in the US and potentially the world. Freestyle breaststroke and butterfly sprint specialist equaled Phelps's world championship record with seven gold medals in Budapest two years ago. Followed by six golds and two silvers at last year's Worlds in Guangzhou. Uh, Dressel has played down suggestions he would add the 4x200 free relay to his Tokyo schedule and make a run at Phelps' Epochal. Epochal? Is that a word? Uh, eight, go- eight gold haul from Beijing 08. But even uh, so, seven golds remains in his sights. I mean, 
I have this problem with swimming, the fact that, you know, they um, they are able to get so many medals. And, you know, I'm not shitting on swimming. Swimming, you know, it's a, it's a great sport um, for what it is. But um, the fact that someone can go for eight medals, you know, even as a runner, if you're a short sprint runner, you're you're only capped to like three. And even and even in that, if you really want to go for anything else, maybe long jump, maybe long jump. Excuse me, maybe long jump. So that's, that's potentially four excuse me, as a maximum, you can go for seven and not even break a sweat if you're a swimmer, and that's just a bit, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, I feel like there's too many swimming events, I feel like swimming really uh, takes takes a schedule uh, in terms of Olympic scheduling, I understand it for world championships because there's always something to watch and that's good for world championships, but I feel like for Olympics it just really bloats the schedule, it's just swimming off, swimming off, swimming off, swimming for a couple of days, it's just like, eh. You get a bit of fatigue watching that, and that's just me, because obviously I watch it constantly. Uh, Janja Garnbrett, uh, Slovenia Sport Climbing. This is one new sports. Uh, climbing will be one of the starry new attractions of Tokyo 2020, and Garnbrett is expected to shine brightest of all. 20-year-old has been is described as a quote-unquote reincarnated spider monkey. Okay. Uh, because of her ability to scale walls, and in 2019 she became the first athlete to win every bouldering World Cup, uh, World Cup event in a season. She won the world titles in, a bol- in bouldering and combined climbing in 2018 and 19. It was rapidly improving in her weakest discipline, speed climbing, making her a heavy favourite for Olympic gold. Now, I've seen um, speed climbing, and that shit looks fun. <laughs> that shit looks so fun. Uh, oh, he's so fun to watch. I can't, I can't wait for that. It's basically, you know, 50 metres, uh, 50 metre run, but just up a wall. It's very fascinating. Now, I highly suggest you give that a watch. But um, I've never seen bouldering and combined climbing. I don't really know... Well, I think I know what it entails uh, from the picture, but um, yeah, I, I don't really. Is it a time thing? Is it? I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. What it's for? Is it like um, you know how how it looks? You know, is it, is it like gymnastics in that way? But um, I don't know. But I'm definitely gonna give that a watch. Uh, Stephanie Gilmore, Australia surfing, seven times world championship uh, champion surfer from Tweed Heads, uh, will represent Australia alongside her compatriot Sally Fitzgibbons in the sports Olympic debut. Uh, perennially consistent Gilmore 31, uh, who's 31, won the 2018 World Surf League, finished fourth last year. Uh, she can overcome the likes of Fitzgibbons and Hawaiian Carissa Moore. The natural footer will have a real shot at gold. It will be a fitting triumph given Gilmore and her country's consistent surfing success over the past decade. And the last one is Nigel Houston. Oh, wait, nope. We've got several more. Okay, I'm just going to roll through these because they're actually, I just realised how fucking many there are. If you know the names, you know the names. Nigel Houston, skateboarder, 25, absolute goat, love Nigel Houston, absolute beast, uh, please give him a watch if you haven't seen skateboarding, he's an absolute boost, Laura Kenny, Britain, obviously cycling, she's amazing, um, obviously married to Jason Kenny, um, but yeah, uh, I think she's going to be absolute beast on that front, uh, Maria Latsiskene, who's a neutral athlete, she's technically Russian, she does high jump, she is a freaking robot, she's an absolute robot, she does not have any uh, facial expressions whatsoever, it's just absolutely scary to watch. Uh, Eliza McCartney, New Zealand Athletics Pole Vault. I actually haven't heard of this name before, to be fair. Um, 23, rose to international prominence four years ago in Rio, claiming bronze as a teenager in her first major event. Oh yes, I do remember her now. Yeah, she's good. So, um, that's a, that's good young, uh, young talent to look out for. Uh, Pat McCormack, uh, who's a British boxer, um, it says Britain have won eight boxing medals in the past two Olympics. Andy Joshua, Luke Campbell and Nicola Adams all making the highest step on the podium before having a decorated pro careers. Many except McCormack are a classy light welterweight who has won Commonwealth and European Games titles to follow their gold-laced footsteps. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really... After Andy Joshua and Nicola Adams in 2012, I didn't really watch boxing that much in 2016. Um, I, I remember, like, uh, I think it was like uh, Gamal Yafai. Uh, who else? Uh, Joe Joyce was there. In 2016, I don't really watch watch much of that, but um, yeah, man, it's good that someone else is there. Uh, Kylie Massey, Canada swimming, uh, 23 year old Ontario, has won every major 100 meter back, backstroke race she has entered since catching a surprise bronze at distance uh, uh, distance as a teenager in Rio, becoming the first uh, Canadian swimmer to win back to back world titles in the same event. Um, I'm surprised. Um, where is where's it? I wonder if she's here. No, she. Um, what's her name? Katie Ledecky. I'm surprised she isn't in it. Uh, Shawnee Miller-Webo, I've talked about it before, she's an absolute queen, um, absolutely blitzes 400 and 200, she is long-legged, she is absolutely, she's just crazy, she has ultimate power, the stamina is crazy, 
definitely give her a watch if you're watching Athletics. Um, just look out for it. Naomi Osaka, Japan, tennis. We all know Naomi Osaka from a tennis perspective. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Teddy Reiner, uh, France judo. I haven't really watched much judo. I like taekwondo. I like, I love taekwondo. I love watching that in the Olympics. It's so fun. So fun when they're just like flying kicking the heads. <laughs> Try to kick each other's heads off. Judo is obviously more grappling, but that'll be quite that'll be quite interesting to, to peep. Uh, Duncan Scott, great British swimmer. Um, obviously, Adam Peaty is the guy, but... Um, uh, Duncan Scott is right behind him as a, you know, potential good swimmer. Um, but has to be like, you know, the likes of the Chinese and stuff like that. And last one is uh, Ariane Titmus, uh, who's also an Australian swimmer. Um, well, hang on. The teenagers spectacularly beat Katie Ledecky in the 400 meter freestyle at the World Championships in 2019. Well, there you go. I thought Katie Ledecky was absolutely um, unbeatable because from the races I saw in the 2016, it was absolutely not even a contest. She, it was like she was training. She she smashed world records for fun, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, so, so if, if a teenager could beat her, I mean, that's a good reason to watch. Finally, uh, some finally someone not as uh, not as dominant in the swimming world. But uh, yeah, I thought I think those are good uh, good places to go. Um, swimming athletics is always a good watch, depending on what you're watching, depending on what discipline. Um, I think athletics is going to be amazing. Um, definitely watch like stuff like Taekwondo. I'm gonna give Rugby Sevens a go if they're still there. Definitely giving skateboarding a go. Definitely watching that. Speed climbing for sure, and maybe the other rock climbing ones. Uh, I don't know if mountain biking's there, but I really want to give it a watch. I'm not really a fan of surfing, um, but I might give it a peep if it's there. Uh, kayaking, I really enjoy. I love that kind of stuff. Um, white water uh, kayaking, like trying to get through the get through the. Um, the, the, I don't know, what do you call them? The goals, I guess. It's just two poles, they have to get through them. I don't know what you call them. And they can't touch them either, which is actually crazy. Uh, but yeah, Olympics hype is beginning. I'm getting hype. This is what it's all about. I cannot wait for the summer in that fashion. I cannot wait. And we finish the episode on music and uh, I wanted to talk about since this obviously 2020 new decade and all that um, I wanted to get into this particular article that I found which is kind of uh, fascinating and uh, kind of uh, compares what the 2020s can be um, in terms of how important the arts are and you know we, we, I've, I think I've had this conversation a few times on here in terms of how important art is um, but I think I think this really nails it down, especially in the decade we're about to face and the potential problems we're about to face. So uh, it's called To the Barricades, Why Great Art, Film and Music Will, or will Be More Important Than Ever in the 2020s. Uh, this is by Chris Harvey of The Independent. Now, what I will say is this article is a bit herky-jerky um, in terms of uh, how it goes about making a point. So I'm going to skip a couple of paragraphs if I can, because it's uh, very lengthy and I just want to get to the point. But there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, examples given of particular pieces of art, which in one way is cool, but um, for the purpose of this particular one I want to talk about, uh, I might just uh, skip a few paragraphs. So uh, it might seem a bit disjointed. Uh, I'm going to try and make it, you know, kind of... Um, flow well but yeah i'm not reading the whole thing uh because there's just a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh i don't know fluff <laughs> i guess in terms of this, uh, in terms of what's in the article so uh the most divisive period in british political history the thatcher years saw direct cultural uh, responses like the rise of illegal rays uh, anarcho hippie environmentalist new age culture dystopian comic books such as alan moore's v for vendetta searing socially conscious tv uh, such as boys from the black stuff Politicised pop like the specials as Ghost Ghost Town and Elvis Costello's Shipbuilding, as well as politicised theatre such as Carol Churchill's Top Girls, Serious Money, and Jim Cartwright's Road. Uh, but it also produced a colourful array of escapist stage musicals, including Andrew Lo- Andrew Lloyd Rep- uh, Webber's now almost forgotten Cats. How funny! How funny! We're talking about Cats again. Uh, plus Duran Duran yachting off in pastel suits, uh, and the phenomenon of young British artists with Damien Hirst and Tracy Emin as the movement's figureheads, who, on, whose entrepreneurial verve ought to have uh, had Thatcher purring. Uh, the decade, decade's most enduring television highlight, Brideshead Revisited, meanwhile look, uh, look wistfully back to a Reese Mogg-like vision of a world defined by class. Plus, everyone liked the Smiths, and in the 80s, uh, in the 80s and look where that ended up, a rush and a push 
uh, and the land that we stand on is Farage's. Compare it to with the peaceful noughties, though, and the counterpoints are in reverse. A decade of Coldplay and Snow Patrol, Westlife and Dido uh, was given a shot in the arm by Amy Winehouse and Libertines and some Street Smarts by Dizzy Rascal in the streets. False Jeopardy ruled in reality TV creations such as Big Brother and I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. In art, most notable, the most notable shift was structural. With the opening of Tate Modern in 2000, its most memorable exhibit was Olafur Eliasson's The Weather Project, in the radiant presence of which visitors would lie on the floor for an hour at a time, basking in its serenity. Uh, well, I did anyway, and fell asleep. Wake me up when the Borgias are back. Does the argument truly stand up, though? You could make a case that the single most important artwork of the 20th century was Malevich's Black Square, the zero point of, point, the zero point of painting, uh, which came out of the turbulent period and world war that led up to the Russian Revolution, but you could equally say it was John Cage's 433, uh, which was conceived in the bright positive glow of America's vic- American victory in the Second World War. It's probable that the century's most influential artist was not Picasso, who's a Guernica, uh, was made in response to the horrors of the Spanish Civil War, Bandy Warhol, who was obsessed with consumerism, celebrity and fame. The American 60s made a stronger case for the power of expression in the tumultuous times. Atomic annihilation loomed as the Cold War gripped, and the US became fatally mired in the uh, Vietnam War, just as conflict erupted at home with the civil rights struggle. Television brought a bloodshed to brought the bloodshed into the living rooms of millions as a counterculture formed. Dylan set protest to guitars and acoustic and electric. The Doors' Jim Morrison sang of a desperate land in the end, uh, intoning the exculpatory mantra, the West is the best, the West is the best. Get here and we'll do the rest. Or maybe he was just thinking about California. Performance art such as Yai Kasu... Kusama's uh, naked flag burning on the Brooklyn Bridge appalled the passers-by and environmentalism reared its head in Rachel Carlson's Silent Spring and the, ca- and the climate fiction of Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, drug culture made also made its presence felt in the decade who, and has infected everything since. But was Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test ultimately more significant than Philip K. Dick's novel from the same year, Do Androids uh, Dream of Electric Sheep? I don't think so. The decade was bracketed by Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird and by Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Oppression is undeniably a powerful creative engine. The African-American experience has birthed entirely new musical forms, gospel, blues, jazz, rock and roll, as well as hip-hop. The period when the latter was gestating in the 70s block parties of the New York City projects, undisturbed by A&R men and market forces, was surely its most important. Uh, the suspicion now is anything vaguely new would be strangled in the act of emerging by the rush to herald it, market it, and monetize it, obviously. We have talked about that many a time in terms of hip-hop, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hip-hop fully grown could give voice uh, to pretty much any emotion, including deep and abiding anger. And we hate the popo, want to kill us dead in the streets for sure. Uh, as Kendrick Lamar put it in 2015. All right, obviously. Here is a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me, in the words of Public Enemy in 1988. Garage scene mutated into grime, which has a similar articulacy. Articulacy? That's a good word. Uh, rage has been a potent artistic drive in other t- contexts too. The 70s Belfast, uh, in, in 70s Belfast, at the high of the troubles, stiff little fingers lashed down in all directions, especially in uh, the secretarian pa- paramilitaries. That drew young people in to die for the important, their important cause. Stuff their fucking army, sang Jake Burns. Killing isn't my idea of fun. There are warning signs of plenty, though. That anger and hatred may turn out to be uh, dominant emotions of the 2020s, which suggests any, that any artistic response employing them isn't going to help. We've just lived through a decade in which it became clear that rage is easy to trigger via mass and social media. Activating body, the body's biochemistry to foment fury has become exploitable as putting jumps into horror, horror movies to flood the body with flight, fight or flight chemicals to intensify fear. Horror, porn and hatred are all biochemical events. That's very fascinating to think about. Horror, porn. <laughs> huh. Horror, porn and hatred. Biochemical. That's very, fa- that's, that's, very, that's very fascinating way of thinking about it. But um, let me just get to the last uh, paragraph here. Britain in the 2020s presided over uh, by the likes of Home Secretary Cruella Patel, (laughs) love it, uh, doesn't look like fun. 
And as the world burns, the schism between old and young is widening. As Denham once said, your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Uh, these perilous times could just be a catalyst for new work, new forms, new ways, we shall see. So the whole point of this article, if you guys didn't know, is um, kind of just talking about how uh, the times um, influence art, obviously, and how, and, you know, and it poses the interesting question, um, does art, um, is art the first thing, or does art respond to the times, or does the times reflect the art? I think that's the I think that's the way Stennis was saying it, and it's a very interesting conversation to have. Obviously, when it comes to stuff like you know Thatcherism, there were plenty of artists that wanted to roll back against that. Um, obviously, people like Public Enemy uh, revolted against Reaganism and Reaganomics, um, and but on the same on the same side, you know, you had NWA basically existing because crack was in LA. That's, you know, and that's obviously a comment on politics. Um, and I think the 2000s in Britain was a very interesting way of, uh, a very interesting um, case study, I think. Because I've said this before, and I'll say it again, 2000s were fucking weird um, in so many ways. And I think in art, it was very interesting. Um, from a Just from a case study perspective and looking at it in hindsight, I think it was a lot of you know, it's a lot of fluff, um, the fact that, you know, people just decided to watch Big Brother and I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here, it's just, and, you know, the advent of reality TV in that sense, obviously it existed beforehand, but it was more, um, I don't know how it's different, I don't really want to get into that, to be honest, but, you know, it's just, it just seems a bit more, um, obviously Big Brother is a very important one, because obviously it responded to, you know, George Orwell, and referenced that, but, it kind of created, it, it kind of was the complete opposite of what George Orwell wanted, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's very tongue-in-cheek and kind of a slap in the face to George Orwell. Um, so, you know, art is always, art and, like beauty, is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, I believe, always, I've, I've always believed art should, you know, in the words of Nina Simone, should reflect the should reflect the times in some way and I guess most things in TV and film do in a way um, maybe not the most positive ways or negative ways um, sometimes there's always a grey area of course and also how people the reasons why people create art is always different especially when you span decades like this article has done um, but regardless of how you think of it um, art is always important in every facet um, art inspires art you know gives a sense of escape to people um especially in tv sense and well depends what you're into if you you know reading as well if you like reading obviously that's your form of escape um books can be a form of information as well obviously so art is a lot of things and it can be a lot of things and it can be and can be interpreted as, as a lot of things um, and as it pertains for the, you know, what's going to happen in the decade, obviously I can't predict what's going to happen in the decade, but, um, in terms of art, I think it's going to be very, very interesting, um, especially in a music sense, but, um, from a, from a TV and film perspective, I think, uh, it's going to be, depending on how we consume film and TV, I think that will set a tone for, um, I think that will set a tone for a lot of potential mainstream art pieces, um, you know, you might, you might not get many, uh, highly artistic films, um, in cinemas anymore, they might just go straight to streaming, so, depending on that, and how you think about that, um, that will clearly, that will clearly, um, affect why, why people make art in the first place, um, just look at Scorsese, did you really, I, I never, of all the directors, of all the directors, I never saw um, Scorsese going to Netflix, to be completely honest, I never saw that, I never saw that coming, but here we are, so, um, depending on how the landscape changes, and how we watch things, and how we consume things, I think that, I think that will influence the art more than, more than what's happening, I think that'll be a secondary thing, I think how we consume is going to be the important thing for this decade in terms of art. Uh, but anyway, 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's been what's good. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, I think I've, I've enjoyed this one actually. It's um, quite so. It's always nice when it's a full full slate and uh, all all of it's different. Um, so, you know, pull, pulls my brain to many many sides, and it gives, it's a nice challenge for me. So uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, and uh, I'm just happy. I'm just happy I did the ninety percent of uh, turning up, and hopefully the the ten percent I'll leave uh, the rest. I'll leave the ten percent uh, decision up to you guys. But anyway. From the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor and this has been what's good. Intro music is Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find all their music in Bandcamp links in the description below. Thanks to your records for the ability to use these songs. You can also find your records uh, Bandcamp link in the description below. And that's pretty much it. Hope you all, again, happy new year to all. Have a good week, everybody. And I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.